O Heavenly King, the comfort of the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasure your blessings and give our life. Come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls a good one. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Sorry, you're going to have to bear with my uh, raspiness here. So, I'm dispensing with going over much more history because we just don't have time. Uh, at some point, I'll probably in the next year or two do something where we kind of go century by century because I probably need an hour for century at least. It gets a little bit faster as we get closer in some ways to now, but in other ways, as you get closer, you have more information. So therefore, you have to be even more selective in editing down. And you can't be like, here are the third, here's the third generation. There's three basic issues, and here, here are the texts that we can read, or here are the, the figures. Once you get to the 19th century, it's just like, <laughs> there's a lot of things going on. What do I pick out? So this class is mostly going to be practical in Q&A. So this is not very, like, what, in some aspects, there's always something to learn, but it is not, we're not, like, I'm not going to be teaching about the Holy Spirit or Jesus Christ or those things. We're going to be talking about uh, the catechumens who have been with us for a while and praying, discerning. Uh, As we, at the very beginning of the classes, with the handouts about pursuing a life of following Christ uh, where it was giving us the path of obeying the commandments you know, seeking silence, seeking uh, to develop a prayer rule uh, actually fighting and getting in digging deeper into struggling with particular passions that you may have that you struggle with reading of scripture, coming to the services as we've had many feast days, uh, all of that has been preparatory, is preparing you to be able to be received into the church. So it's not that you're just kind of hanging out, waiting, and then you get in and then it starts. Like this is already, the catechumen is where you are beginning the process of, uh, in many ways, and this is the life of the church, growing habituated to what the life of the church is, what following Jesus Christ is like. So that's why, for example, we're in the Nativity Fast, and we have a fast going on uh, that I encourage you to pick up in some form, especially if it is your first fast. And I've talked with some of you about the specifics, and at some point we need, everyone needs to have, I've already had some individual meetings with folks and kind of gauged where they're at. Uh, but just kind of a, a meeting with me, fun to gauge where you're at, uh, for you to ask me particular questions that you may feel either uncomfortable asking me in this setting or something specific to you that you, you know, or something that you are wrestling with. Uh, one of the things that I told us to uh, a catechumen catechumens the other day there is being a catechumen does not mean that you are on like uh the fast train going downtown and you can't get off and you're going to miss all those exits this metaphor is probably a little too (laughs) like you you don't have to because everybody like you're not this is a better metaphor you're not about to graduate high school and you're like oh no i can't walk the stage with all my other like classmates you don't Everyone is processing and working things out, 
And you have folks historically in the ancient church, <clears throat> by ancient I mean the first few centuries of the church, uh, people would be catechumens for about three years. So it, it is fine for you to take a while uh, to process, to be certain. This is, as I've used the metaphor of engagement to the church, you want to make sure that if you're going to marry somebody, that you want to marry them, right? So if, it, if you have, like, I need to take a minute, or something came up, like the feast of the entry of the Theotokos in the temple made you go, what? <laughs> I don't know what that's about. Then it's okay. You don't have to rush to the finish line. Because I, and this is a challenge that I have seen uh, in the Orthodox Church. And some of it, I think, is America. The folks will get interested in Orthodoxy, they'll read stuff online, they'll get really into it, and they're like, they come to church and they're just like kind of blown away and they're really interested in it. And then they, you know, the chrism is drying, thank you, Jess, is drying on their head. And they just say, I'm done. <laughs> and they don't ever come back. I. For whatever reasons, a host of reasons, maybe you actually start getting to knowing some people and you realize that orthodoxy actually has people in it uh, and people are broken, people have issues, people can annoy you. Uh, at some point you might be like, oh man, the choir, ugh. I'm not talking about our choir, but like in general, like, or the priest, like, what's, what's, <laughs> the priest like what was he talking about like I, or you know this fasting thing was cool the first month that I tried it but like now it's Lent and now it's like good grief how long does this last it's only 40 days and you realize 40 days doesn't include Holy Week it doesn't include the week before the 40 days and it doesn't include the week the, the week before the week before 40 days where you're starting the church is ramping you up too fast okay so all of these things, I want to emphasize as becoming orthodox. This is something that takes a while. This catechumen is preparatory. It's like uh, marrying the church. The first few years of the marriage, at some point, you know, the honeymoon is over, right? You, you see the cracks. You see the issues. You see the challenges, the troubles, the problems. And you either say... I'm being faithful and I'm sticking to this and I'm going to love the person because I've got my cracks. I've got my issues. I've got my brokenness that I brought into this relationship. So I, more than anything, I want to encourage you to be faithful. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to say like, Father, I need to you know, sit down and talk to you about something. There's something that's bothering me, worrying me, or... If you walk away for two or three months because life is crazy or you're just upset about something, to then don't say, oh, I can't go back because, oh, I'll be... Like, there's always those elements of being afraid or ashamed and all those things. And process through those things. But this is home. This is not uh, a place where if somebody says, hey, miss seeing you or something like that, that's not meant to be a dig. It is out of love to want you to be here and uh, living the life of Christ with us. So I just want to emphasize that if you're not ready, it's okay. Nobody's going to force you. I'm not going to force you. Uh, you discern, pray about it. Uh, but we do have some practicalities about timing because others will be coming into the church. I know because 
Cheyenne, sorry, I knew you were over here somewhere. Cheyenne um, is going to be baptized. Uh, I think we're probably going to do it on the morning of the 19th, which is the Sunday before Christmas. Um, this is because she's engaged, uh, and at some point they're going to be moving to an area where they're actually going to settle and where they're going to be married. So she wants to finish her catechumen here and be received in the church here. So that is going to be one of the dates uh, that if there's others, this is only, this is two weeks away. So if there are others, especially if we have some baptisms uh, coming up, because we're having an adult baptism, I'm going to have to get out the trough, (laughs) which takes up like this much space here in the middle of the church. Uh, It's great. That's not a problem. It's just, if I'm going to baptize one adult, I might as well baptize other adults so that I'm not three or four times the next month getting out this gigantic thing or having some help from others to do that. Um, so if be thinking a little bit, if you, and we can go through uh, individually, I have some folks' uh, records, uh, but what we need, if you have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and have a baptismal record. Some people I have their baptismal records. Uh, others I know need to be baptized. Um, so if there's folks like Rocky and Ashley, we have to talk about the particularities around the baptism and the church and that stuff. But if you guys are available, I know because of your work that you're not always available on Sundays. So I don't. But you do know. Do you know if you're available yeah. on the 19th? You have to check it? Okay. Then we can go ahead and receive, and then we'll do baby two. I'll just use the same trough and just, okay? I'm not going to set up the font and the trough. We're just going to, by trough, I I mean like we go to the farm store and we have a gigantic, like. Water trough. Yeah, water trough, yes. (laughs) So that is, if there are others, chrismation is not, as you can probably imagine, time intensive. Because we're not baptizing you. The baptismal service, <clears throat> the service of baptism and chrismation uh, is roughly about an hour if it was just me with a baby. So when we start adding other adults in, it starts getting longer. Okay? So uh, there, there's another little note to self. Like, orthodoxy is different. An hour-long service? Yes. That is because we do, at the beginning of the baptismal service... And those who are going to be prepared for baptism, I can send you a PDF so you can look through uh, what the baptismal service is. The baptism in, in orthodoxy is full immersion so that you are, if you will learn things. If you are here and you're like, okay, they're just going to talk about logistics. I'm not going to only talk about logistics. Uh, baptism is uh, full immersion. You can see elements where there'll be folks who will have like a baby and they'll, they'll pour water over the head. But the, the practice, the ancient practice... The ancient practice is actually to be baptized in living water. Uh, living water, can you, do, what, can you imagine or guess what living water is? Flowing, running. Flowing, running water, right? So a creek, right? You've got to get down in the water and get baptized. Um, you do it three times in the name of the Father and then of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There are many of you who, if you've seen baptisms in the past... They're not done in triple immersion, but in the ancient church, the historic practice has always been triple immersion. So 
that is what happens before that. There is uh, basically a whole lot of exorcisms uh, where we basically tell Satan to go to where he belongs, uh, that we are also preparing uh, the person who is to be baptized to become a newly enrolled warrior of Christ. Uh, there's all of these metaphors that run throughout the entire baptismal service. Uh, the baptism happens kind of in the middle, and then it is followed up by chrismation. Uh, chrismation in the Orthodox Church, someone was asking if they had already been baptized before, then they believe they've had the Holy Spirit, uh, and because Deacon in his homily talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit comes with chris- chrismation. In the ancient church, if you were baptized outside of the church, because there were schisms, there have always been groups that say, hey, I don't like this, you teach something wrong, and they run off, and eventually they no longer have priests because they can't really self-reproduce, because maybe they think everyone should be celibate, and you're pretty much damning yourself to not having a second generation if you're all celibates. Uh, That's a real thing, that did actually happen. So, uh, you... The church has always received folks who are not in full communion with the church through the imposition or the, uh, the signing of oil. That has happened, uh, there's not always this idea that everybody was, if they were not baptized in the like, Chalcedonian Orthodox Church, that there's the only way is that they have to be baptized to come in. But there are many situations of schism, and schism means where a, someone has, is not in full union with the Orthodox Church. Uh, they can believe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not a question of them being a Christian, but they're not full unity with the church. Uh, and so chrismation is something that the church has used to reconcile people uh, into uh, the church. It is also done, if you are a baby or if you're an adult convert who's never been baptized, uh, you are also chrismated and sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Any questions about baptism and chrismation? I should be more specific about chrismation, too, since I was specific about full immersion three times in water for baptism. Chrismation, chrism itself, I've actually stirred the pot of chrism at the monastery at St. Tikhon's. Particular churches in the Orthodox world are able to uh, create their own chrism. Uh, Chrism is basically this very elaborate recipe of spices and ointments and things that is basically... Uh, during Holy Week, uh, the gospel is read continually as it is stirred uh, on Holy Fr- uh, Thursday, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, that is the time where it is basically set aside and prayed over and basically consecrated to then be sent out to the parishes to be used for chrismation. It is not uh, oil. So if you've come to a vigil before and you've been anointed with oil, that's not chrism. Chrism, you can tell the difference. Like I put, it's nice smelling because I put a little something in it. But chrism is a very particular um, oil that I have reserved uh, there in the altar that is only for the reception and reconciliation of those to the church. Uh, it is one of these signs of unity in uh, the Orthodox Church because it has to come from the synod. It has to come from the Metropolitan that it is a sign of unity that all of us have been sealed with that particular, not that particular batch, but it is an endless batch because they, ne- they may remake more when they need to before we're done. So it's always, in some ways, you are connected back. We, our chrism goes back to Moscow 
Moscow would have gotten theirs going back to Constantinople, etc. So that is historically, we are all being connected, not just through baptism, but also through uh, chrism. I bet there's some people who've never heard that before, even if they are, were Orthodox. So that is where chrism comes from, uh, what chrism is for. Any questions about baptism or chrismation? Go ahead. So myron is just Greek for oil. So it's, it, it depends on the context of what when you're saying it. <clears throat> Are there any, say, clothing uh, requirements? That Thank you. you. So one of the things that you need uh, to procure, or maybe a god parent, if you're a woman, you should choose a, a woman to be uh, your, not patron, but your godparent, your sponsor, and if you're a guy, choose a guy to be your sponsor, uh, you should be thinking about that. If you haven't asked them, you should ask them pretty soon so that they know, so that if, it is okay if they can't, if something happens that they can't make it to your chrismation or to your baptism. I had to proxy somebody stood in for me because I had to be somewhere else. I can't remember what the thing is. And this didn't you know, affect my godson. He's now uh, a monk. So it's not that he somehow got you know, derailed because I wasn't physically present when he was made uh, chrismated into the church. So um, where, what I would say is where your the chrism is going to be applied. Oh, so I need to talk physically why I'm going to say this. Chrism is applied to your forehead, to like uh, around your eyes, your nostrils, your mouth, uh, your ear, like your chest, your hands, and then your feet. So if you have sandals, or if you have, you know, easily, you know, like my shoe, I can just take off my shoe, uh, then you're going to be barefoot for a, a while until you come <laughs> and take off the chrism. Uh, then you, that would be the shoe wear. Clothing, if you're going to be baptized, if you can uh, find white clothing, it doesn't have to be completely white. Uh, but if, like, for example, David, if you were to wear those pants and have, like, a white shirt, if you were going to be baptized, I know you're not being baptized, but if um, that to be able to put on afterwards, that would be great. So maybe beforehand, when you're going to be baptized, you want to wear clothing that is going to... Uh, be modest <laughs> when you're being baptized for your sake and for everyone else's sake. Uh, and it's probably, you know, you probably don't want to wear a pair of jeans to be baptized in because it's just going to soak up water like nobody's business, okay? Uh, if you're, I don't, speak into your, Yeah, I was just going to say, please. immediately after you're baptized, we'll ask you to go put on dry clothes. So right. Just something else to keep in mind. Yes. I always forget sometimes what you don't know because I'm just used to seeing and doing this. So, um, historically, yes, historically, you would have been uh, uh, like a baby, right? Your birthday suit, okay? Uh, we don't do that anymore. Uh, you're probably like, Ooh. Uh, <clears throat> that is part of the reason why there are women deaconesses, is because basically you would have. A naked woman who's going to be baptized, and so the priest, basically the deaconesses, would lead her into the water and say, "Baptize in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit." Okay. 
So that is uh, a historic anecdote about how they did baptisms. Um, is there any questions about chrismation? Is that a service too? So you can do just a chrismation service, but if if folks are available on the 19th, or if we need to push it to even, it's like I said, it's much easier to do chrismation before a divine liturgy, like on the next Sunday, the Sunday after Christmas. Um, I know everybody, because it's Christmas time, everybody's going to be traveling, right? Well, not everybody, everybody, but like it's just one of those weekends. Uh, you're welcome to invite people, family or friends, uh, to this. Uh, I would suggest that you give them a heads up about what they're about to experience because that's going to happen and then we're going to have the divine liturgy afterwards and most people are not used to three or four hours altogether of church. So we're just talking about, because we, we're going to still have divine liturgy after that. So you're talking about at least you know, almost two hours uh, after that on that Sunday morning. Um, any questions about that? So please do email me uh, and we can set up a meeting to discuss. And we're probably at this point, uh, we need to, beyond that, we also need in that meeting for those who haven't, if you're going to be received here in the next week or two weeks, we need those who are going to be received need to schedule confession. Uh, it is a practice in the church to do a lifetime confession. So, who is afraid of confession? <laughs> All right, everyone's, if you don't have your hand up, you're not being truthful yet. <laughs> By afraid, I don't mean like the heebie-jeebies, but just kind of like, who likes owning their stuff in front of people that's not like the person you fought with? Or so, you know, like there, there is, it is a very vulnerable space. And as, don't worry about her, it's fine. Uh, and as a priest, it is a, I want to say a gift or to be able to be present while someone is confessing and repenting. Confession itself is the act of coming before God and it is an act. Like there's one aspect to it. People say, why do I have to confess in front of a priest? Well, I don't know about you guys, but not confessing in front of a priest never really helped me that much <laughs> because you don't really actually in many ways have to deal with the stuff. It's really easy for you to just be like, yeah, I'm a sinner. <laughs> and a vague, and you can do that in confession. I might ask you some questions <laughs> uh, like, really? Is that, that's, you're way holier than I am if you have one thing to say, right? Like, there, there is with confession, um, the church, uh, kind of like marriage. It's like, why, why do I have to go to the church to get married? I can just go to the courthouse. Or why do I even need to go to the courthouse? We can just have a common law marriage eventually at some point, right? I don't know what Tennessee is, how many years it takes. It's, uh, it's, it's banned by statute. It's banned by statute. Wow. Wow. Is that just Tennessee? No, it's, it's, it's legal in about eight states. It's legal in about eight states. Apparently, I know something that's only legal in eight states. Okay. Um, but that, do you all know what common law is? Basically, you live long enough in order that like, the law just recognizes that you have a marriage. So, the Latin over here has been spoken. So, whatever the legal Latin phrases are. So, 
there is in the act of confession. You do, does this mean that you only repent the times that you go to confession? No. No. <laughs> confession is basically it's the I'll say ritual. I know that ritual has all this baggage, but it is the formalization of the act of repentance. It's like going to the doctor and getting your yearly checkup, but I would suggest that you do more than a spiritual like yearly checkup. The, what I encourage is, you know, it's probably good quarterly to go to confession. Some folks go weekly. Uh, some folks go monthly. And that's something that you and I, over time, can work out. Uh, you can ask or discernment. It's not something that I say, this is what you're doing. There might be something I say, like, you should come back more often because you're struggling with some particular things. It would be good for you to have, because there's something in the form of, like, I'm going to confession. I really need to take a look at myself in the mirror, uh, which is scripture, looking at our Lord. And there are tools in, in the, the attachments I handed out. And there's all sorts of stuff that you can find. Uh, some of those things, if you have some questions, uh, if you're reading something that's written from the 16th or 17th century to help you go to confession, you're probably either going to need some help uh, translating some of the things that it's talking about. Or you might be like, oh my goodness, this is really, really intense. Well, if you're talking about something from the 16th or 17th century, it's going to go into a lot of detail. It's going to get, you know. So when you come up to those things, just talk to me. <laughs> and I will help you discern or say, like, you shouldn't read that thing. <laughs> Don't worry about that book that was not written for uh, somebody who's been Orthodox for two years in East Tennessee, right? We're talking about... Mount, you know, a, a monastery 15 years in or something. You don't need to worry about those kind of things. But there is, in coming to confession, you need to prepare, especially for a lifetime confession, to come and to be able to pour out your heart to God about what gets in the way, what besets you, what you're infected with, what are the shackles around you. Now, some practical things about confession. Confession is not story time with the priest. And that means like, it's not, I'm not telling stories, <laughs> but it's very hard, uh, partly because we have such a therapeutic culture of used to going to therapy. Confession is not a therapy session. Uh, there is time to get pastoral counseling or to ask to have, you know, time with the priest to be able to talk about something that you're wrestling with or struggling with. But confession is not the time to, to, to tell the story about why you did this one thing. And it's like five minutes of a story, and then I'm kind of waiting there going, where's the sin? I might even say, like, okay, what's the sin? <laughs> like, what is it that is, what are you confessing instead of telling me about your sister and your cousin? And In fact, I would just say, here's a, a rule of thumb. Don't talk about anybody else. You're going to confession, not your husband, not your wife, not your cousin, not your ma, not your dad, not whoever, your children. <laughs> don't, you don't, now I don't mean like you have to be like, oh, I can't say it. You can talk in some, like, I sinned against my wife because I disrespected her. I yelled at her, you know, that kind of stuff. Okay, that's fine. If you're wanting to go into more, this doesn't mean... I mean, you'll have some advice that tells you that you should crystal, like, kind of in a way crystallize down because it shows 
the refinement that you have actually prepared for the confession. If you struggle with anger, you can say anger, but if there's particular actions of anger that like that you feel like you need to like I you know hit somebody or I have a real problem flying the bird when I'm flying down the interstate, right? Like these little things, that's okay to say. There are certain things where I might say like I don't need detail, uh, especially if we're talking about things that you're struggling with that might be a little lurid. I don't really need to know a whole lot of details about how you may fall off the wagon about X, Y, or Z. I don't really want to know details for my sake too. Like I am not a saint. I have to go to confession. Uh, so if you are going to uh, confess things, prepare. I write. You don't have to write. Uh, but I will have a note card and I will spend the time to prepare for confession and I will crystallize down to like, and when you do that, you'll find themes. And this is a, a, a word of advice. I don't know if I want to say warning, but this is a word to the wise. As you delve into this, as many of you have never done anything like this, do not be surprised that you court or flirt with despair. Because there is something about actually beholding yourself in the mirror and just throwing yourself into despair about... Or as you kind of dig in and start, like, you know, if you're writing something down, I, I encourage writing down because otherwise, I don't know how many times you go into confession. I mean, for those who have gone to confession, you go into confession and you're just like... I knew exactly what I was going to say before the three minutes before I walked in this room. You said the prayer, and now I don't remember. It's this weird experience. I've experienced it. It's probably the reason why I started writing things down. Uh, don't worry, we don't keep the slip. We, you can burn it, you can shred it, you can trash it. You know, it's not that you need to keep it as some you know keepsake from your confession. But don't, don't despair about the things that as you dig in, because you start realizing as you delve into and try to take seriously your walk with Christ, just how deep the, uh, the weeds and their roots are in your life. And how intertangled and connected they can be with, you know, you start realizing, man, I really turn to food to, to deal with stuff. I really turn to, I just am addicted to anger. And you know, when you start going, you know, going to confession and confronting those things, don't despair, but work through. In some ways, you have to be courageous. You have to, in coming, there's courage it takes to come in before someone. Most of you don't know me that well, right? Like, I'm Father Daniel. I'm the priest. I'm the guy up there. Where's stuff and has these classes and you might we might have had coffee but don't nothing that on one hand nothing that you're going to say well I'll say that (laughs) I was going to say nothing that you have said I haven't heard yet but that's not true there's some things I haven't heard yet but nothing that you say is going to surprise me is going to um, make me think less of you uh, is going to somehow uh, damage those are the kind of thoughts that ultimately they come from fear and they come from the devil to get you to not confess things. There's this great icon of confession. I believe I saw it in a, a monastery 
where it was this fellow who's kneeling down and the priest is over him and out of his mouth is just pouring out all these vile creatures. These like monsters are pouring out of his mouth. There is an incredible weight that is lifted when you give an honest, prepared, like, where your heart is like, you know that you are accounting for things and that you are desiring God above all things. Because repentance is not just coming in and just naming things off, right? This is the act of repentance. It is the turning around and reorientation of your life towards God that you are doing this. It's not just a mechanical or mechanistic process by which you've now, you know, deleted your account or like emptied out your, you know, the debt that you have, you know, you've, you've done your public service loan forgiveness for your student loans or whatever, right? Like, and you're, you're finally free. Took years. So like, that is not what we're doing in confession. In practical things in confession, I, especially your lifetime confession, I'm probably not going to talk that much. Because you're pro- like, I, I pray and hope that you, and if you come and you say like three things and it's your lifetime confession, I'm probably going to ask you some questions. What if you hours, then I'm going to stop you. Because <laughs> we're not, so, because we're, we're outside of the bound, like, confession is not going through every single instance of everything you've ever done. That's part of the reason is that you like we're as limited human beings. You can't remember everything. If there are things you're like, I remember that. I think I'll skip that one. That probably means that you need to confess that one, right? That means you have you need to deal with. And I'll use the word like the shame that it is to name things that you're ashamed of doing that you don't want other people to know. But that's exactly how those things contain continue their hold on you is when you don't let them out that's part of what that in that that icon all those things coming out they're coming out because you're naming them and then naming them not that you get power over them but there is a release that you have in owning those things and in a way objectifying them and pushing them away from them and saying i don't want to be a part of that thing So I'm going to use the example of the baby here. When you do, like, a, you know, you can, and not every confession is like this mountaintop experience. A lot of confessions, you're just like in there and you're just like, it is the grind. And you are, you know, by the grind, I mean, it's just life. It's gotcha. You're on the floor. You're just, you're tapped and you're just letting it out. I may not say anything that has not, like me saying or not saying something has nothing to do with you. Uh, I'm, while I'm hearing confessions, I'm praying, and sometimes I might ask something. Sometimes I might not say anything. I might uh, suggest and or tell you, you should do, like, this is a prayer that I suggest that you do. When I'm doing that, that, I might phrase it, I'm always going to phrase it with like, this is your freedom to do this thing. But I'm basically saying, for the sake of your soul, you should do this thing. And sometimes I might say, like, you should do X. When I'm saying that, that is something that you, uh, you should take on because in a way, some situations, I, you know, I'll give a penance. I won't say penance usually, but I'll say like, because of this thing, you should, whenever you fall into this thing, you should say, you know, read Psalm 50. You should do the, these are things that are given because penances, are you all familiar with penance? 
the idea that you, when you go, I mean, the movie idea is you go somewhere and they always say, like, do three Hail Marys and, uh, I don't know, ten Our Fathers. I mean, okay, so in some aspect, you have to kind of get the movie idea out of your head and think about opportunities or things that the priest might say, this is something that you should do in your prayer life. Or, for example, you say you're, you've fallen out of communion with somebody, right? Like your relationship has been damaged. And I say, you should probably, like, you need to seek reconciliation with that person. Or we need to sit down and discuss discernment about what, how you can fix or attempt to fix that, that relationship. Um, penances or I mean, giving those out is not, it's not, it's kind of like homework, Right? You could not do the homework. I'm not going to grade you. <laughs> so this metaphor kind of falls apart. But it's extra credit and or it's homework that helps you with whatever that thing is that you're dealing with to be mindful and to have something to, um, in a sense, aim your desire and what you're trying to do and accomplish overcoming by God's grace, whatever that is that's besetting you, that's tripping you up, that's got you shackled. Does that make sense about? And then, of course, in, a, in confession, it's not like it's a one-way street and then it's like my turn, it's a one-way street. There, conversations happen. Uh, it's not, uh, it's like the rest of orthodoxy. There's like a formality to it, but at the same time, it's like informal, right? Like, it feels very formal if you're not used to this, but if you're around for a while, you realize it's still like there's a hominess to it. It's not kind of abstract or dry or distant, but it is something that you participate in and you can like talk to the priest at coffee hour. It's not just distant and away from you. Well, yes. I'm, if if I, you, you were perhaps going to go here, but um, when you did a class on confession back uh, several years ago at Great Lent, you, you also made the observation about going to other priests for confession yes. and why that may or may not be a good idea. Yes, thank you. So this is, my, this is my basic policy and what I understand the OCA's basic policy is. If you are being taken care of, most of you don't. Catechumens, do you, you might know one other Orthodox priest. Is that fair? You don't know that many Orthodox priests? I mean, you're, you're, you're going to be going other places. So, um, if you are a parishioner here, you're like, you're my responsibility. And so the, the basic or right order in the church is that you're confessing to the rector of the parish. However, you might have moved here from somewhere else and you already have a relationship that you've had for years with a confessor. So, there are situations, times, etc., where, for my sake, I might ask. I don't really go around. It's not like I have a book somewhere where I'm like, "Has that person gone to confession yet?" Like, uh, I, I, I don't have time or energy, honestly, to do that. If I haven't seen somebody in a really long time, I might encourage them or check in with them. I'm never going to force or anything like that. I might encourage or say, like, I'm always available, you know, when you want to come and talk or do confession. Okay. If you are, uh, have a relationship with another local priest, uh, you can always just talk to me about it. And I can say, if you're going to confession with them and you are being taken care of uh, in that way by them, that's fine. But 
ultimately, like, I need to know that you're being taken care of. It's ultimately, it's for your sake. It's not for me. It's not like I have to report to the bishop about who's confessing <laughs> and stuff. It has nothing to do with that. It is about the state of your soul and making sure that you are being taken care of. That answered basically what you're... Thank you for reminding me of that. This is also... I, I highly suggest... Say, there's something that you do not want to confess in front of me. And you go on vacation, and you go to another church, and you have an opportunity to go to confession, and you go and you drop that there. That's not a very good thing to do. You're not really taking... You, you're kind of taking a loophole. It's cheating. It's, all, it's like... In some ways, it's like, yes... It counts. I, I like. I, I'm not. But if I was the other priest and somebody was just like, "Bam!" I'd be like, "Have you talked about that with you?" Like, "Whoa!" Like, I'm. I, I can't just be the loophole that allows some out of the responsibility or like the ramifications. Or like, I committed adultery, and it's like, I think you're going to have to go home, <laughs> and your priest at home who knows your spouse is going to have to. You're going to have to navigate this one, right? So. It is, if you are off vacation, it's been a while, and something happens, and you want to just kind of go do like a run-of-the-mill confession of somebody, that's fine. You had a question, Arnold? Well, are you taking questions about confessions right now? Yeah. Okay. This should be a a simple confession of, of what we have done. To you, not an explanation of why, right? And not a you know, not a psychological argument of how you got into this situation. You just want to hear the truth of what it is. I, I want to what? So what I want to hear is almost <laughs> what a good confession for your sake is is going before God and repenting and owning all the stuff and show, like saying. I want to follow you, and this is how I messed up. You're right. I'm not a therapist. I don't pretend I'm a therapist. You will never see me on TV as a therapist. I, like, I, I am not a therapist. I'm not trained to be a therapist. Uh, I don't really desire to be a therapist. I'm a priest. There is pastoral therapy. There's pastoral counseling. Uh, and sometimes that might ask questions because we do bring baggage from our childhood. We do bring baggage from our parents that might, but in confession, I'm not going like, you're not going to hear me ask a whole bunch of questions about all that stuff. Uh, to me, that is like, especially on a Saturday. So I'm also talking about Saturday nights, like Saturday nights. Uh, I was here, I think for an hour and a half last night with confessions after Vespers. Like there is an element and it's something I'm going to have to repeat. And you'll probably hear me over the years say, <laughs> like, like cut the stories, bring it in. I, I, I it's fine because you are the one repenting. I don't need to know all of the story about why you fell into this thing. Because it's also this is what it, it can be a subtle way of justification, self justification. Well, you know, it was a hard day, and like I just gotten home from work, and like there was no dinner ready, and my kid was running around with a diaper, and then like there was poop on the floor because there was no diaper on the kid, and like I just lost it. I don't care. <laughs> so what? I have a kid pooping on the floor too. Like that does your anger and how you then like chewed your wife out, or you know, like did something stupid. 
or you know that is the sin that you name and you own not about all of the things that contributed that would make it a rational response that's not a rational response it might in that logic you can justify it but i might say like so are you justified like is (laughs) a lot of people i can they'll even like catch themselves i'm not trying I, i don't want to justify my like or you know or bringing up other people, like it's usually like it's just there's no reason. So, any questions about confession? I'll even go into the, the again the actual how it happens <laughs> because that's also then a question. Like you've seen, there's no confession box here or thing, right? So, David. As far as the yes, you need to schedule a lifetime confession with me. Uh, it could be done on a Saturday evening or uh, before Vespers on a Saturday. Um, but because I know not, some people work nine to five jobs. So, and my evenings are a little bit more difficult because I got not four of those running around, but kind of that. So, for some, what I would say is so I'm not saying we need two meetings. For some, it can be one meeting where we discuss, are you ready? You know, let's do lifetime confession. Uh, you need to choose who your patron saint is, who your sponsor is. You need to get, uh, I, I highly suggest getting, not suggest, should get an Orthodox cross. You can actually get online and find a little a baptismal cross, even if you're being chrismated, an Orthodox cross to be able to wear. Um, you don't have to spend buku bucks for it. You can buy one for three or five bucks, right? Like and your sponsor may want to get it. Yeah, so let your sponsor know, and they might even get you a $50 one. Who knows, right? Like, <laughs> I still have my baptismal cross on. So, um, <coughs> I don't have baptismal crosses here. So, I think you can even get on Amazon, honestly. You'd probably do prime delivery and have it in two days. And get yourself a, a you, you know, if you realize, oh, no, I forgot. Um, so, ancient faith. Ancient faith. There, there's quite a few now. There's way more now than there was when I became Orthodox. There's like two sources for it. Father, the uh, um, the Paraclete bookstore <coughs> over uh, at Sacred Heart Cathedral, they sell baptismal crosses. They have like a whole section for Orthodox. Yeah, they have one too. Yeah, they, they Great. And and also there's there's a good collection of the Saint Nectarius's bookstore. Okay. If uh, people would like to look there. Where is St. Nectarius? Or where is... The Paraclete is right on the same grounds as Sacred Heart Cathedral. Knoxville. Was it North Shore Drive? Is that the North Shore? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so, the physicality of confession. Right now, I hear all confessions in there. Uh, you can see when you come in for a confession... I'll shut the door behind you because I think you want privacy. Uh, you kiss the gospel book and you kiss the cross, and then I will say a prayer. Here is the prayer. Uh, Behold, Christ stands before you to hear your confession. Do not be ashamed. Do not be afraid. Do not hide anything from me, for I am only a witness. Behold, Christ stands before you to hear all those in your heart. Tell him all that is on your heart, lest having come to the place of position, you depart unhealed. I had to close my eyes because I would get distracted if I don't do that. Um, that then is basically your turn. Uh, you say what you need to say. I might ask you a question. I might not. I might say something. I might sometimes 
especially lifetime confession, I'll probably say some word of encouragement. Uh, and then you would <clears throat> kneel down in front of the gospel, say, this is the gospel on the cross. You kneel down like this, because I've also noticed that folks do all sorts of different things. And if you are of an age or you've got some issue with your hip or your like knee or something, you could just, you know, put your head down. Uh, I put the stole or the epitrahelion over you. I then read, uh, say the prayer of absolution, which is the, this is the one that I have memorized, which is also a little bit edited because I memorized it. And it's just what happens when you memorize stuff. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> God it was who gave David through Nathan the prophet when he confessed his sins. Peter went bitterly for his denial. The publican and the prodigal may the same God forgive you all these things that you have confessed, both in this world and the world to come, and set you uncondemned for his judgment seat. Now having no further care of the sins you have confessed, depart in peace. While towards the end of that prayer, I'll make the sign of the cross over your head, and then take the epitrahelion off of your head. You stand up, usually make, I'll give you a blessing, you can kiss the gospel on the cross, and then you can dance out of there like a little one-year-old baby. Because there is, this is one of the good things about confession. It's nice to be able to get stuff off your plate and out there and just own it. And then you can just walk away. It doesn't mean that you're done because you now have to live into the repentance that you just uh, witnessed before our Lord. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I've seen folks, they, they go into confession. You can just tell, like, the world is just... And they come in the confession, they're just, you know, they're ready. So, <clears throat> timing. So here's another practicality of time. Going forward with confession. Uh, the, when I say four times a year, that usually I use the, you know, Lent, Apostles Fast, Dormition Fast, Nativity Fast. That's, just, that's a good, we, we need probably quarterly, every three months is probably a good time to say, like, I, you know... Uh, I'm going to go say the same 10 things I always say. Because let's also be honest, like most of our stuff is the stuff that we've had since we got stuff. <laughs> we might, hopefully we're not adding too much on there sometimes in great life transitions. You have a new person to fight with, like a spouse or a child who creates, you know, etc. for you or a new job. And then you, there's the boss, Right. There, there are those, but you and the stuff that you've got, generally, this is kind of like what St. Anthony says when he's talking about don't easily leave a place, is that uh, wherever you go, you're still there. So whatever new situation or new problem, it's still pretty much, you. these are your coping mechanisms. You turn to food, or you turn to lust, or you turn to anger, or you turn to maybe just checking out or despair, all, all coping mechanisms. By coping mechanisms, there's all like addictions to things in order to not deal with the reality to of loving or of forgiving or being present, right? We find all sorts of ways to distract ourselves. Don't be afraid or don't be ashamed that you come and you say the same things over and over again. Because if you saw my card, I'm saying the same things over and over again. There's sometimes where like I see a new connection or there's something that happened that like really shone a light on something that I was like, man, I was really blind to that. I knew it was a thing, but like, okay, that's an ogre on my back, not a little goblin or something, right? <coughs> Any other questions about confession? Usually during Lent, I don't think I did it this past year, but I'll probably do another because I did it the year before 
another talk on confession. Uh, so, because everybody needs a little bit of an encouragement or reminder about confession. So, we talked all about confession. The next, I guess, what? How much time do I have? This says I have 10 minutes, so I'm going to go with that. In the next 10 minutes or so, I'm going to talk about communion. Uh, the coming to Holy Communion in the church, you probably noticed I uh, say before we start the prayer, uh, I believe, O oh Lord. So I'll talk about a recent confession. By recent confession, I don't mean, and you'll encounter this, because there, there's little different small t traditions and practices in the Orthodox Church. There are some, and I'll say this is more of a Russian practice or a Slav practice. You might find this in like some Bulgarian or like Georgian. And Georgians are Slavs, God forgive me. They'll probably, they won't like that. Um, that they'll have uh, the idea or the practice of if you're going to receive Holy Communion, the night before you should have gone to confession. Maybe the week of. This was a very normal practice, not just in Orthodoxy, but I believe even in Roman Catholicism, you didn't often make it your communion unless you had gone to confession. And so in Orthodoxy, this kind of grew up out of a respect for communion. Because you can get, so there's one side, it's like you only go to, you go to confession once a year and you go to communion once a year. In Russia, it was actually like the law that you had to go to communion once a year. That's a whole other conversation. That's a whole different world away from us. That's not now, <laughs> but historically before. Uh, that was a pretty normative thing throughout Christendom in different places. Uh, so you would have, the, and then you can have this other extreme where like you went to confession three years ago, you go up to communion every single Sunday and you don't even really think about it. These are extremes that I don't recommend. I especially, like, this is at least you're like, okay, you're doing the letter of the law in a way. This is, this is not good. This is not uh, discerning the body, as Paul talks about. Taking it for granted. It's taking it for granted. Uh, it is something that you need to do. Uh, everyone in the, there, because you can also, let's go, so let's go to, if you are doing confession <coughs> every single week, and you're communing every single Sunday. Some people do that. And that is the pattern and the rhythm. And that's what they need. It's like an anchor for them. You'll have others. They can do that. Let's be honest. Like I said, you can give a confession. And it can just be like this and this, 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 and this. And you might as well not be going to confession, right? You're doing, you're fulfilling what you're supposed to do. But it's not, re- you haven't really been able to prepare. You haven't really been, and you just can rattle off some, you know, I get angry, and I get, you know, I cursed a little bit, and like I didn't read my Bible, and like I didn't do the fast. And uh, that's not real repentance. That's just going and saying, like, here are the rules I broke. Let me in so I can get communion, okay? That's not always the case with communities or practices where they do that you do confession and communion for every time. Because the pattern that some you'll see in these communities is that somebody will commune once a month, but when they commune that once a month, they've really prepared. <laughs> you know, they've read all of the prayers, uh, etc. If you find in your prayer book, this is the pattern that I suggest, which is a, a middle of the road uh, approach, is you need to prepare yourself for Holy Communion in some way. If that's reading the Psalms, if that's contemplation of Scripture. 
the night before uh, evaluating things that have gone before you, even maybe you're planning to go to confession in a week or two, uh, if there is, um, in your prayer book, there are specific prayers, there's canons, there's things for, uh, to prepare you for Holy Communion. Uh, just like there's pre-communion prayers, my suggestion is do the pre-communion prayers that you find in your prayer book, because then at the end of the liturgy, what do we do here? We do the post-communion prayers. I also especially encourage you, if, to, if you're going to be receiving communion on Sundays, that you're trying to go to, if it is all possible, uh, to go to Vespers the night before. Uh, we don't require it here. There are some churches say, like, you have to go to Vespers, you have to go to confession, and then you're able to receive that morning. Um, again, if you have these extremes, I'm trying to shoot for the middle. That is something that might be challenging, but it is not a yoke that you cannot bear that just weighs you down, and then you end up, you know, despairing, distressing, and just, like, not going. Because that can also be the response. Like, I'm just not going to go to church. I can't, can't receive communion. Now, if there's also that you discern, like something bad has happened, like that Saturday night or like Friday morning, you just had like a drag out blitzkrieg war with the spouse. And you guys have not reconciled yet. Or like something just... And you come to Sunday morning and you're just out of sorts. And then you can just feel your innards are just like, on, like you know, you're upset. It is okay to come to church and not receive communion. It is not bad. It is not like, well, you guys are doing that right now, right? Like, <laughs> those are categories. Like, you're coming to church and you can't receive communion yet. It is okay to say, I'm not at a place where I am ready to receive and I need to go to confession and I'll go to communion next week. That is okay. That is very normal Orthodox practice. Um, any questions about that? The mechanics of receiving Holy Communion. When you walk up, I probably need to do a fresher course for some of the kids in general. When you walk up, this is actually the opposite of my understanding of, so if you're a Roman Catholic, Roman Catholic, if you go up like this, that means you're not receiving, right? And the Orthodox Church, this means that you are receiving. It's kind of, there, there's a practical, in some ways you could like make this very theological. It's like, you're preparing because this is how you're going to when you die, or, you know, you could... It's also really practical. I, if you were coming up and you're just kind of like, Hi, Father, like I'm coming to receive communion. Your hands are going to be like, whoa. <laughs> uh, please keep your hands back. And same with like babies. Like when you bring a baby. So I'm not going to pick her up. But like I'm right-handed. If you see a priest is left-handed, right? They're going to have, so I'm right-handed. So with her, especially if a little baby, you put, you just cradle, put their head like right here and come up and then I can just take the spoon and I just go whoop, right into their mouth. I just put, I just put usually a little bit of the blood in their mouth. Um, when you come up to receive communion and you're coming up like this, uh, I'm going to blank on probably both of your names in that moment. Okay? So please say your, uh, not your driver license name, but whatever your patron or here with it, I... Cup name, chalice name. Uh, I, I don't think I've heard it until here. Everyone gets little little tea traditions. Cup name, you know, because I'll say the handmaid of God, Hannah. I might remember, like 
for whatever reason, like sometimes I can remember names, but sometimes in the moment I'll just like look at you and just be like, ah, I don't remember, right? Because I just had 15 other people or somebody like, some kid does something with their hands and I'm like, whoa. And so, you know, there's, there's always moving parts going on. So please say your baptismal name or your, your, your paternal name so that I know. Open your mouth and please, when I'm putting it in, I don't know what it is. I've only seen it here. This is not dainty time where you go with your teeth and you go and take it off. I will put it in your mouth <laughs> and you will know. And I'll, I might even press down a little bit on your tongue. And I might even, because I've seen people just kind of go, and I'm like, take it. <laughs> because there's all this awkwardness that can occur between I don't want Jesus everywhere. I want him to go into you and not onto, there's a reason why we have like the safety net basically underneath, right? Uh, so don't do the day, I don't know what it is, but like there's been a recent uptick with people with teeth and like using their teeth, to t- and I'm just like, this is the most awkward <laughs> thing because it's also very, like if you're trying to do it with your teeth, it's really easy to with your mouth, just go, oh, right? And I know it's, it's in, we're done, we're good, right? With teeth, it's like, this. it becomes way more complicated and delicate. Don't be delicate. Just take, like, thank you. I agree. But some people do it. I don't know if that's how they eat off of a spoon. I, I have no idea. But I, if it continues, I think it's abated a little bit. But if it, up to, it seems like it goes in waves. It's weird. I don't know. Maybe they just go to Father Stephen over here now. I don't know. Um... <laughs> Please don't do that. Um, afterwards, when you receive Holy Communion, uh, go receive the, the Zapivka, which is the bread and the wine that is basically uh, there because you've been fasting that whole morning. We do Eucharistic fasts. That means from midnight the night before, you should not be eating anything. All right. Caveats or footnotes or asterisks or whatever. All right. If you have to take like a particular pill and it has to ha- you have to have a little bit of food in your body, um, you know, I skipped taking my antibiotics this morning. I should probably take that at some point soon. I forgot to bring it with me to take it at coffee hour. Like <clears throat> you, that's something that we can have a conversation with. I'm not going to say, please get, you know, your bacon, egg and cheese bagel and your nice you know, grande latte and have that with your, what I'm going to say is like, you could, you should probably like have a piece of toast and maybe some tea, put something in your body. But we, when fasting, like all of these things, like fasting, the nativity fast, like prayer rules, like all of these, these are all, uh, these are things that are disciplines that are given to you to enter more fully into the life of the church and to following Jesus Christ. They are not just burdens to be burdens. So there are things that can be edited according to the situation that you're in. (coughs) They exist because most people want to do the least amount of stuff as possible. That's just kind of our default. What's the easy way? (coughs) That's what I'm going to do. Orthodoxy says, no, 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 no. This is the expectation. This is what we're aiming for. If you need to help getting to that place, you and I can talk about it. Yes. Should you leave the cream out of your cup of coffee? Wait, no, no coffee. 
Oh, no coffee. No coffee. You are not supposed to eat or drink before Holy Communion, but from midnight the night before. Well, then I'm going to have a whole bunch of things to confess here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is water okay? I, a little bit of water is fine. Where, where, where? I do a little bit of water, Deacon. Well, I'll take a pill. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not talking about chug a gallon of water. I'm talking like clear out your mouth or like take a little bit of something. Like I, yeah. Children? No, I was going to ask about this other name that you talked about. Oh, whatever your, your patron saint is going to be, that is the name that you, that is your church name. So when you receive communion, when you're chrismated, I will use that name, which I might even need to, because there's a lot of you, I might need to be reminded. <coughs> Children and fast, Eucharistic fast. My kids still basically just eat oatmeal. So there is, there is at some point as a family you discern, I think nine or 10 is about when you need to start having that conversation and figuring out how to reel back a little bit. Uh, they can handle it. You're going to be amazed what your kids can do. Yes? Probably a silly question, but in regards to the mechanics of approaching There's no silly questions here. I'd rather. Not a silly question. There's not a. You do, I think I just naturally do right over left. It doesn't really matter. What? So I, I, I had, and this is different than what other people have heard. I've heard left over right because one of the things you're doing is knocking across yourself. So you're holding, you're not going to make the sign of the cross. So that's, but that's just that's fair. You know why we don't want you to make the sign of the cross while you're receiving communion? So you don't knock the chalice over. I, I've had somebody this happened to them as a priest and. They burnt their vestments because once that, you know, like, it's not that you just go to the dry cleaner and they take Jesus out of the dry, like, your vestments. Like, that is, it's time, it is gone. Sorry, there goes $800. Bye. Yeah. Um, one, one thing also, uh, I don't know, maybe worth knowing, um, that practices do change, are different from one church to another. Yes. At, at most Orthodox churches, after you receive, well, you're always going to have your mouth wiped by the by the Yes, thank you. And and then and then normally you'll kiss the base of the chalice also. It is a Russian practice or a Slav practice to kiss the bottom of the chalice. We stopped doing that here uh, since I've come here out of a, just kind of a time thing because communion was becoming very very long. And when you add one more thing that is also, it means the priest has to like move it up. Uh, we just kind of cut it. And as, as uh, Rita Gregory is talking about, there's all these little different practices. In the Greek context, what we do is what the Greeks do. In regards to the little mechanics of you don't kiss the chalice, there is more of a Russian practice to venerate the chalice after you receive communion. What, I guess one <coughs> thing to, to add as well is if you're, if you're going to go to another parish, another Orthodox parish, you, you always <coughs> let the priest know ahead of time that, that you're Orthodox, but like an email or a call or something, like I'm a member of CNN, I'm in good standing, I'd like to receive the Eucharist, and, and because otherwise the, the priest or the deacons have to quiz you with the cup. They're not going to know you, and they're, and they're going to have to add, well, are you Orthodox? And it's always a little awkward when you're like, I've never seen that person before, but they know how to make the sign of the cross, but that doesn't mean uh, it's just an interesting situation. Thank you. Yes? 
I would add for people with small children that it's good to have a little bib because you don't want to have to burn the whole outfit because it's a lot easier. So even like, as long as your kids will let them keep putting the bib, mm -hmm. let you keep putting the bib on mm -hmm. because otherwise, and always wear <coughs> outfit in case there's a mistake. Another thing about toddlers and babies along those same lines is while you may have their arms locked lock down, their feet aren't. And their feet can very easily, that's part of the reason like kind of holding them to the side, like they could totally kick the child. I, I like felt a little bit of like, whoa. So um, are there any other questions? I think we're out of time. Uh, I'm trying to... Th can I mention one more thing real quick? Yes, Deacon, please. Because someone said that they wish they had known this before their first communion. It will likely be warm. Oh, yeah. So We put hot water as a symbol of the Holy Spirit once the curtain is drawn. So it will be warm. It's also... Jesus is sweet tasting. I'll say that. Okay? It's not like you're getting a dry Cabernet taste. It is, it is a dessert wine that we use. Are there any other... If you have questions, please... Especially this week, try to email me and like uh, set a time. For those who are, I hope this was at least interesting, even though we didn't get into like talking about Orthodox theology and the, uh, you know, like as we did more at the beginning or scripture or things. This is the practical, but you can also see like the way we approach things, the preparation, the like the, the seriousness of which like. You know, burning vestments if you get some of the body and blood on you. So please email me this week. Uh, let your sponsors know that you would like for them to be a sponsor. And if you have questions about all those things, uh, let's set up a time so we can sit down and talk, uh, etc. Okay? Oh, not this Sunday, but the, the 19th, because we were, because of even if we're receiving folks, we're still going to have one last class that Lynn is going to be leading, which is going to be more specifics in regards to church at home, basically, prayer rule, home altar. Uh, what are some of the other things that you were... Those things. That's in... Life in the church. Life in the church, uh, which I, I don't just highly recommend, like, you should be there so that you can be more fully enculturated so that in two years you're like, you do what? On when? For what? You know? But you might still do that in certain cases in two years, but you at least have all the basics down. All right? Let's end with prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, into ages of ages. Amen.